Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. looking for a hit. A pitch. Swing and a line drive to right. Castellanos to his left. He's there and in deep right makes the catch. And Michael Lorenzen is through eight innings here in Philadelphia. He has not allowed a base hit. He's ready again. The pitch. Swung on and in high in the air to shallow center field. Coming on is Rojas. He's there under it waiting and he makes the catch. And Lorenzen leaps into the arms of his catcher JT Riomuto. And the Phillies storm out of their dugout. And from their positions and from the bullpen to mob and congratulate Michael Lorenzen. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, August 10th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Nothing lasts forever, not even the avoidance of being no hit. Something that the Nationals had avoided since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason was being no hit. The Nats, in fact, had the longest active streak of not being no hit of any team in the majors. The last time that the Nats franchise had been no hit was July 18, 1999, when the New York Yankees' David Cohn threw a perfect game in a 6 0 win over the Montreal Expos. But unfortunately, the uh, Nats' avoidance of being no hit is no more. The Nats on Wednesday evening did get no hit, a 7 0 no hit loss at the Philadelphia Phillies in game three of a four game series. Starting pitcher Michael Lorenzen, who the Phillies just acquired by a trade with the Detroit Tigers on August 1st, he in just his second start for the Phillies threw a no hitter. Uh, he tossed nine scoreless and hitless innings, did issue four walks, only had five strikeouts. He threw 124 pitches, 76 strikes versus. 48 balls, and yes, he did end up no-hitting the Nats. Mark, no-hitters do happen. We know that. Uh, They actually happen more than some people may realize. But, of course, being no-hit is not a good thing, okay? You can't really spin this (laughs) in a positive direction. It's an embarrassing thing, and it happened to the Nats on Wednesday evening. And in spite of all other ways that you can evaluate a team and a franchise's performance, ways that are much more valuable to determine a team being good or bad, both in the short term and the long term, whatever you want to call it. 
for some reason, I always felt like this was a pretty cool nugget about them, that they had the longest streak, that they had never been no hit since coming to D.C. They'd really only come close once, and that was Michael Walker during the final week of the 2013 season in St. Louis. He was one out away, and Ryan Zimmerman hit a little chopper over the mound and beat it out, barely, the throw to first to break it up with one out to go. And outside of that, there really had not been any legitimate close calls. And I mean, getting all the way to the eighth inning or beyond. And so as this one's playing out, I'm thinking to myself, well, eventually it's going to happen, right? I mean, they're going to get a hit here. This guy wasn't blowing them away the way you would normally expect in a dominant performance. And it just kept going. And the next thing you know, Dom Smith pops up a ball and you're like, oh, wow, it actually happened. In game 115 of their 19th season of existence, the Washington Nationals finally were no hit. Yeah, and you know, if there's one thing you could say about the 2023 Nats is that this is a team that makes contact. This is a team that does generate at least singles. And so it always kind of felt like a team, okay, there are many flaws to this team, but actually getting no hit wasn't really something that worried you. But we are now post the trade deadline. The Nats are playing some younger guys, some guys who, you know, are having some issues. You think about somebody like a Blake Rutherford. And, you know, something like this was going to happen at some point. And unfortunately, that point was Wednesday evening. I think it's interesting, though, with the no-hitter, because I know, like, as a kid, I'm a child of, like, the late 80s, early 90s. And I remember as a kid growing up as a baseball fan, like, you hear no-hitter, and it's, like, majestic, you know, thing, this improbable thing. Oh, my goodness, he threw a no-hitter. The truth is, no-hitters happen a lot. This was the 322nd regular season or postseason no-hitter in MLB history. This was the fourth no-hitter of this 2023 regular season. This was the 17th regular season or postseason no-hitter since the start of the 2021 regular season. No-hitters happen quite a bit. So I I know it sounds like we're diminishing what Michael Lorenzen did, and I guess maybe we kind of are, but like no-hitters happen If you look at the list of guys who have thrown no-hitters, it's not a bunch of Hall of Famers. Like, some really good pitchers have thrown no-hitters. A lot of, like, no-name pitchers have thrown no-hitters. So, to me, like, if you're a Nats fan, I mean, you're not happy about what happened on Wednesday evening. But I think this is, like, this is a bad night at the office. And and I don't think you read too much into what happened on Wednesday evening. I agree. I, I don't think this is a reflection of anything in a broader sense. I think on this one particular night, this guy did everything in his power to not give up a hit, and the Nationals did not get one. And credit to Michael Lorenzen for doing it. It's hard to do as, you know, yeah, it's maybe not as rare as you might think, but it is still pretty rare and it's a cool thing. And it, I can tell you, it means something to players. You see the emotion all the time. It absolutely means something. I mean, I don't know if you heard Michael Lorenzen afterwards said that he had watched all of Nolan Ryan's no-hitters and aspired to do that. Nolan Ryan, of course, was seven of them. Those are the ones I remember from my childhood. We're about the same age. Like I remember Nolan Ryan and all of a sudden, if he had it going in the seventh inning and ESPN would cut in and you get to watch the final couple innings, that felt like such a big deal. And he was so overpowered. I think they are a little more common here in the 21st century than they were in the late 20th century for whatever reason. You also now have the combined no-hitters because pitchers don't always get the chance to go the distance. I was glad, just for aesthetic's sake, I was glad that Rob Thompson left him in for 124 pitches, because that doesn't always happen these days. He's at 111 after eight, and it would not have been outrageous at all for Rob Thompson 
to pull him from this one. So just as a fan, I was glad to see that he gave him the chance to do it. And we didn't, you know, talk about, well, they got no hit, but it was by, you know, three different pitchers or something like that. Now, here's the stat to me. And again, all credit to Michael Lorenzen. Okay. But the way he went about this is not the way you usually think of a dominant performance, a no hit performance. Nine innings, no hits, of course, four walks and five strikeouts. Now, there have been no hitters with high walk totals. Edwin Jackson famously had one, I think, eight or nine walks. I think A.J. Burnett had one like that too. But usually they're also associated with a lot of strikeouts. Like a guy's stuff is so good, he's all over the place and they're swinging at it and you know maybe they've managed to, to lay off enough to draw walks. But the five strikeouts with four walks, in my mind, I thought that doesn't sound like a normal thing. So I looked it up and it's true. It's only the 22nd no-hitter in history where somebody had four or more walks and five or fewer strikeouts, but it's only the second one since 1996. Most of these happened a long time ago. The only other guy to do it since 1996 was Francisco Liriano of the Twins in 2011 against the White Sox, six walks and two strikeouts. You throw a no-hitter doing that, I don't know how that was possible. So it was an odd one. There weren't those moments in it that you thought, wow, he's overpowering. There were a couple of nice plays in the field, but there wasn't that one defining great diving catch to save the thing in the seventh or the eighth inning. There were some balls hit to the warning track. Okay. There were some hard hit ground balls, but it just felt very ho-hum the way it just kind of kept going all night. And you got to the end and then you realize like, oh, wow. Yeah, he just did it. It happened. The uh, Nats drew four walks in the game. The four walks came from two players, Kbert Ruiz and Joey Manessis. Kbert as the Nats starting catcher, number five batter, 0 for 1 with two walks. And Joey Manessis as the Nats starting DH, and number three batter, 0 for 2 with two walks. And that was it uh, in terms of Nats base runners in this game. I think it is really tricky, especially now with what we do know about pitcher health. And look, there's still a lot that we don't know. But watching this game and seeing Lorenzen, who again, the Phillies just got, and the Phillies, of course, have designs on making and doing something in October, and Lorenzen ends up going for 124 pitches, one of the more infamous no-hitters that you could argue completely changed the trajectory of a guy's career and not in a good way, was the Johan Santana no-hitter for the New York Mets in June of 2012. And... A lot of people will tell you he was never the same after that no-hitter. He was allowed to, obviously, complete the game, throw the no-hitter, threw a lot of pitches, and that was kind of it for Johan as a great pitcher. And, I mean, I think a lot of people remember, he, for a period of time, it was a condensed period of time, but he was outstanding. I mean, he was probably the best pitcher in the sport over like a four- or five-year period initially with Minnesota, but then also really good with the Mets for a few years. And then he throws the no-no. The Mets had never had a no-hitter. He was allowed to complete the no-hitter. And, you know, I don't know how accurate it is, but people will tell you he was never the same after that no-hitter. So I'm not saying that's going to happen with Michael Lorenzen. But yeah, that is something now that you really do think about with these no-hitters. Like, is the greatness of the singular achievement worthy of the pushing of the arm to these limits now that we know are so dangerous? To add to that, I'm looking it up right now. June 1st, 2012, no-hitter, five walks, eight strikeouts on 134 pitches. And he was at that point age 34, I believe. And that was the final season of his career. And he made 10 starts after that and had an 827 ERA. And then that was the end of his career. 134 pitches, older age, 
a lot of other things going on there, of course, with that. And remember, that was historic because the Mets had not thrown one, right, in some ridiculous amount of time. So there was a little bit of extra pull for that to happen too. So Michael Lorenzen isn't necessarily the same guy, different point in his career, and who knows where it goes from here. But yeah, there's a fine line there, and you kind of can't win, you can't lose if you're the manager. Like, you leave him in, everybody says, good for you for leaving him in, but if he does ultimately get hurt or he's not the same after that, you get vilified for it. If you pull him, everybody thinks you're a spoil sport and don't want to have fun and don't care about these things. I think deep down, most managers would tell you that they would rather their guy not do it and give up the hit so that he gives him the excuse to take him out of the game. Maybe, you know, a Max Scherzer who's completely cruising and the pitch count is still low, you're okay with it. But I think in a lot of these cases, especially young pitchers, deep down managers would rather them give up a hit along the way. But it's a weird thing. It is kind of a fluky thing. It is still something everyone aspires to. It's still something we all remember as great moments in baseball history. But there is luck to it. There is combination of dominance and maybe weak hitting and just kind of all the stars aligning on one particular night. And I think that's what we had here. Yeah, I think it is odd. Like, I think you could argue that hitting for the cycle is more special than throwing a no-hitter. Hitting for the cycle has happened a little more than the no-hitter has had has happened, but actually not that much more than people may think. Just what I'm looking at right now, 343 times people have hit for the cycle. I referenced earlier 322 times there has been a no-hitter. But when Trey Turner hit for the cycle in 2021, look, it was recognized as a big deal locally, but I don't remember that getting much run nationally. But what Michael Lorenzen has done is going to get run nationally in a way that what Trey Turner did in 2021 did not get run. So it's just kind of odd how that perception can be. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. Know this about Window Nation. It has installed nearly 2 million windows with a 96% perfection rating. Window Nation is elite. Window Nation is the equivalent of peak Max Scherzer for the Nats. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Hey, Nats Chat listeners, if you want to see Dylan Cruz play in the minors, you probably will be able to get a ticket no problem. But there are plenty of other events where it isn't so simple. And when that happens, make sure to check out the Game Time app. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. 
Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about Factor. We on the NATSCHAT podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up, too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor is fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the promo code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. Pitch to Nick Castellanos is belted to deep right field. Thomas back, warning track at the wall. He looks up and it's gone. And Castellanos has homered again. 5 nothing Phillies. Castellanos 2 for 2, 2 homers, 3 RBIs. That's 19 on the season and six of them against the Nationals. You know, the sexiness from Wednesday evening is the no-hitter. But truthfully, what mattered the most from this game, certainly from a Nationals perspective, was Mackenzie Gore pitching. And he struggled. He struggled mightily in this game. Six runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits, three home runs, a double and three singles. He did have five strikeouts versus one walk. He actually threw a lot of strikes, 83 pitches, 55 strikes versus just 28 balls, but he got smacked around the sit, Citizens Bank Park. Gore in the bottom of the first allowed three runs. He gave up a leadoff single by ex-Nat Trey Turner to left center field on an 0-2 pitch. Gore gave up a one-out RBI double by another ex-Nat Bryce Harper to the right center field gap on a 1-2 pitch for a 1-0 Phillies lead. Gore gave up a one-out first pitch two-run homer by Nick Castellanos to center field for a 3-0 Phillies lead. Gore in the bottom of the second, a ladder run on a leadoff homer by Weston Wilson to left center field for a 4-0 Phillies lead. 429 feet per stat cast, and this was the first career plate appearance for Weston Wilson at the major league level. This is a guy who toiled in the minors for years. He comes up and he hits a home run in his first major league plate appearance. Gore in the bottom of the third, a ladder run on a two-out first pitch opposite field solo homer by Nick Castellanos to right field for a 5-0 Phillies lead. And Gore in the bottom of the fourth, a ladder run on a one-out walk of Weston Wilson, a two-out steal of second base by Wilson. And a fluke hit, a two-out RBI single by the Phillies' number nine batter, Johan Rojas, on a uh, broken bat flare to no man's land near the left field foul line. But this was not good. And you know, don't look now, but Mackenzie Gore's ERA for the season is 462. Uh, that is not where we were just a few weeks ago. And this very encouraging season that Mackenzie Gore was having, you know, I don't know if unraveling is the right word. That may be a bit too dramatic, but the ERA is soaring here. And the season all of a sudden doesn't look as encouraging 
as it did just a little while ago. The bad starts have been really bad. I think that's the most noticeable thing here. The good starts have been really good, and there have been a good number of those. But we're starting to see a few more of these like legitimately bad starts, and I would put this one in that category. I think it's also the Phillies, for whatever reason. He's been rocked by them three times, including really twice at that ballpark, getting hit very hard. I did the math on it. Take out his starts against the Phillies. He's got a 383 ERA against everybody else in the league. Now, there have been some clunkers in there, yes. But for whatever reason, the Phillies have really owned him, and that's skewering his season totals to some extent. He found too much of the plate in this game. You could see when he was commanding on the edges, he was fine. But when he puts that over the plate and he's throwing 94, 95, that gets rocked. And that's what they did to him in this one. And I think it's just a reminder, this guy is still a work in progress. There's a long way for him to go to become the pitcher that everybody believes he can be, but he is not there yet. He's got to find more consistency. He's got to learn how to get ahead in the count. He's also got to learn how to put guys away. He was giving up hits 0-2, 1-2, some of these. And then Castellanos first pitch fastballs in both of those, bam, home run. So I think there's an art of pitching that Mackenzie Gore is still learning and needs to learn how to go about hitters, how to sequence things, how to be a little more pinpoint with his command on the corners and not leave things over the plate. He's got really good stuff, but it's not so good that he can just put it anywhere and get away with it. I think it's interesting that Gore gets rocked like this on the day on which Davey Martinez announces that the Nats are going with a six-man rotation. Davey announces during his pregame session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon. We knew that this was a possibility. This is about the uh, workload limits for young starting pitchers like Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray and Jake Irvin. And also, you know, off what Yohan Adon did this past Saturday in the 7-3 win at the Cincinnati Reds, teasing a no-no himself, right? Ultimately, three runs in six innings, seven strikeouts, no walks. You say, all right, we want to see more of Yohan Adon. We have these workload limits for the young starters. Let's go with a six-man rotation moving forward. But I think part of this, too, might be you look at Gore, you look at Gray, you look at Irvin. All three of these guys are having issues right now to varying degrees. And you wonder if the toll of the season is starting to show. And I think the last thing that anybody wants, especially with Gore and Gray, because they are so important to the rebuild, is for these guys' seasons to get so off the tracks and the numbers to get so ugly to where what felt like these encouraging seasons by these two guys end up being not that good. And so, you know, maybe if you sort of space out the starts, these guys can maybe get some extra rest between starts. Maybe that will help them be better down the stretch. Maybe it has no impact. Okay, who the heck knows? But, you know, of all the things that have happened with this Nats season, Gore and Gray, Gray and Gore, for so long now in this season, like we've been talking about them and the seasons they're having and how encouraging it is. And it's like the last thing you want to see is these guys really struggle down the stretch and end up not having the seasons that for so long we thought that these guys were having. Or even worse than that, get hurt from overuse. So yeah, I do think this is very much on their minds right now. I think it's fair to question if some of the lack of consistency or struggles here as we move along into the season is the workload catching up to them. I think more so in Mackenzie Gore's case than Josiah Great. Let's remember, he missed half of last season with an injury. He's already up past his career you know, high for a single season. They are watching this closely. I think the timing of this worked out perfectly to go with the six-man rotation. It was sort of forced in a way by that rainout, the doubleheader, the fact you were going to need a six-starter anyways later this week, the fact that Adone pitched so well in Cincinnati. 
but I think it's a good excuse and good timing for them to do this. They also have some off days coming up, so they can play around with this. And if they want to give Mackenzie Gore even more time between starts, they can do that and maybe keep, you know, Corbin and Trevor Williams on normal rest and let the young guys have some extra time. I don't think that would be the worst thing for them right now. We'll see how it all plays out, if it helps them, if it hurts them, if they still come to a point that you look at them and you say, eh, they kind of look like they're out of gas, we may just need to shut them down. You hope it doesn't come to that, but that's not outrageous to think that. We've still got 47 games to go in the season. That's still a ways to go. And you've got young pitchers who are approaching levels, if not already surpassing levels, they've never been at before. You've got to make sure that you aren't doing anything that's going to hurt them in the long run. Is this the first time that the Nats have quote unquote officially gone with a six man rotation, like for a prolonged period of time? Like that's the intent here, it sounds like. Like they're going to try to finish out the season with a six man rotation. I'm sure there might be a, a week or two stretch at some point in some season in which the Nats utilize six starters, but I don't recall them like declaring a six man rotation the way that Davey did on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell to me. I know it's come up before. We'd ask the question and they say, oh, yeah, it's something we're considering. And then they wouldn't actually do it. But, you know, rain outs can affect things, injuries affect things. And you can say we're going to do this. And then, you know, a week later, it, it never comes to fruition. I'll be interested to see, do they really stick with this? Or is it more like we've got six healthy starters right now. We're going to use them how we see fit. And maybe we skip this guy's turn, you know, like they did with Jake Irvin in the past. And they have these off days. Like it may not be a straight up one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. I could see the order of it changing around and them using these off days and the fact they have the extra guy to give somebody some extra rest along the way. I'm very curious to see how this actually works in practice. And, you know, let's be honest here. If you want to don't lays an egg in this next start, that could throw the whole plan, you know, a wrench into everything because, we're basing all this off of one really, really good start, but that's all it was. One really good start that came out of nowhere. Yeah. And that is funny that if Adone had gotten bombed by the Reds on Saturday, we're probably not having this conversation about a six-man rotation. And so when you change to something based off one outing, I don't know, that, <laughs> that doesn't seem like the best uh, way to go about arriving at a decision. But you know, there may be more to this than we realize. I do wonder about six-man rotations because I think in so many ways, the paradigm of starting pitching in MLB is changing. And we've seen a lot of change over the last, say, 10 years. I think more and more we're seeing change just because these guys get hurt so often. There's so much we don't know about, you know, pitchers and building up their arms and avoiding injuries. And I think more and more we're seeing, like, you can't cookie cutter this. Like, not every starting pitcher is the same. To say we're going to have a five-man rotation and the goal is for each guy to throw 180 to 200 innings. Not every guy is built to do that. Not every guy is good enough to do that. I know it's hard to do a six-man rotation because you say, well, you need six good starting pitchers instead of five. But, you know, what if there are guys who are better off throwing, say, 140, 150 innings as opposed to 180, 190 innings? Like, And I wonder, too, what if the Nats were to somehow come to the realization that Mackenzie Gore, over the course of an entire season at 150 innings, is better than Mackenzie Gore over the course of an entire season at, say, 180, 190 innings? Like, what if Mackenzie Gore over 150 innings is a three ERA guy? But over 180, 190 innings is like a 3.738 ERA guy. Like, and I understand, like, how would you know that without trying to push him to 180 to begin with? I recognize that. 
But I do wonder sometimes if maybe these teams need to reevaluate things and be more open to something like a six-man rotation and maybe view it as fewer innings for the pitcher will make the pitcher better over the season and over the long haul. So I like what you're saying about you can't treat everyone the same. Everybody is different and one guy is built for doing a certain thing and one guy maybe built for something totally different. You know, there's also this belief among a lot of people in the sport, right or wrong, that more pitching is better for you than less pitching. That pitching every fifth day, that throwing between starts, the more you throw even in the offseason, ultimately it makes you stronger. Max Scherzer is one who believes in that and there are others who believe the same thing. Now, maybe some guys have the right bodies, the right arms to do that, and some don't. I don't know for Steven Strasburg if that would have helped his career to be throwing even more than he did. It works for Max Scherzer. So I think the key here is in a perfect world, you cater towards each individual and what you think is best for them. But it's a hard thing to pull off because like you said, you got to have six who are actually worthy. You also lose a reliever. Let's remember here, teams are restricted now to 13 pitchers on their staff at any given time. You can't go to 14. So if you have six starters, that means you only have seven relievers, which means you need your starters to go deeper to avoid having to use the bullpen. So that is another factor. There's a lot to it. I'm interested to see. Let's see. Do they actually do this the rest of the year? Do we see any tangible difference in any of it? Does something go wrong and it screws it up anyways over the next week or two? I don't know. I'm not sure anybody really knows how this exactly this is going to play out. When we get to September, though, and you have that roster expansion, how does that affect what you can do with pitchers on the roster? I believe you're allowed one more pitcher and one more position player. If I have that right, I think you only go up to 28 now. used to be 40. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's all that it is. So even in that case, it doesn't help you a whole lot. It is a little tricky. And if you're going to have six starters, you need at least a couple of them to be consistently giving you six plus innings to avoid burning up your bullpen. So who knows? This may work. This may not. They may have to adjust on the fly. If it's not working, if guys are getting knocked out in the fourth inning, they may quickly run out of relievers and say, well, we got to protect them more so than we got to worry about our, our starters. Well, that resurgent Nats bullpen did have another pretty good game here on Wednesday evening. Two relievers combined to allow one run in three innings. Corey Abbott, one run in two innings with four strikeouts. He tossed a tremendous bottom of the six a perfect bottom of the six with three swinging strikeouts, which were of the Phillies' numbers four through six batters, Nick Castellanos, JT Realmuto, and Rodolfo Castro. But Abbott in the bottom of the seventh, a ladder run, a walk, a wild pitch, a hit by pitch, and an RBI single. And Robert Garcia did toss a perfect bottom of the eighth. But every game now, there's at least one inning in which a Nats reliever does something impressive. Even Corey Abbott is getting in on the act. Yeah, I mean, last man standing in the bullpen, he's the long man. He was in the situation he's supposed to be in, down 6 nothing late in the game, just eating up innings. Good for him for being pretty effective as he did it, and the curveball was really on. Whenever he is good, there haven't been a lot of moments when they, he is good, the curveball is usually the best part. And Robert Garcia, it's only two times we've seen him pitch, but I've liked what I've seen. I want to see more. He's a big, tall, strong left-hander. He, careful when I say this because I don't want people to say, to think that I'm saying he resembles him in the performance, but in just the way he looks pitching, he reminds me of Sammy Solis. Remember him? Big, tall, lefty, kind of similar arm slot. The results for Sammy were not great over time, especially when thrown into big spots late in playoff games, which he probably should not have been in. Who knows what happens for Robert Garcia, but just watching him in this game tonight, I just thought to myself, boy, he looks like Sammy Solis 
when he's pitching. So vilified me for that one. Let me have it for making that comparison, everybody. Well, let's hope Dusty Baker is not listening to this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. Game four for the Nats at the Phillies Thursday evening at 640. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show. We love hearing from you. Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. We would love to have you sponsor the program. Email us and uh, Tim Shovers will get back to you on that. See what we can do for you again. The email address is Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. We have a website too. We invite you to check that out. Nats chat podcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats chat podcast. Popped up and playable. Brocious. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.